right. Well, I want to just begin by thanking you all for being here tonight. Um, I hope that you all brought something to write with, whether or not that is uh, pen, crayon, mascara, whatever it is that you might have handy and available. Um, if you have an iPad and you want to write on an iPad, that's great. If you brought an old-school trapper keeper, that's going to be wonderful as well. So we're going to get into some things tonight that, Lord willing, um, is going to be worth remembering. I am going to encourage you to take some time and to not only process the information in real time, but also take your notes back home with you afterwards and take some time to process through the pieces from there. So here is my promise for our worldview nights. If nothing else, they'll be interesting. Okay. Now, interesting is not my ultimate goal. I'm actually praying that it's going to be informative and challenging and edifying and clarifying and all of those wonderful things. But if we fall short of all of that, I think we will at least land on interesting. So I'm being a hair bit dramatic on this right now because we are attempting to do what many denominations and many churches and, for that matter, many Christians either do not want to do or are afraid of doing. We're going to talk about hard topics from a biblical perspective. Now, we might realize after the second or third of these why it is that people avoid hard topics like the plague. But I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. And the reason for that is there absolutely needs to be a place where Christians can have the Word of God in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand and honestly ask the question, how do I faithfully live with God according to this while facing the challenges and the situations that I read about in this? And unfortunately, there's just entirely too few of those places for Christians to be able to get together and to address those difficult topics. So from the very beginning, I wanna try my best to set the agenda for tonight as well as what's gonna be happening on the future nights. That is, I'm going to be sharing some preliminary thoughts uh, this evening about the set that I am on right here, also the format and some expectations that we're gonna be going through. Then I'm going to share some of my personal concerns. You might have a whole other list, but I'm gonna share some of my personal concerns that are taking place between the church and culture right now. I'm also gonna go through and talk about the goals that we're trying to achieve in these worldview nights. I'm going to also share some guidelines for our interactions. I'm gonna give my personal predictions for what I think is going to take place after we go through some of these nights. And then after we get through all of that, we are going to settle into a conversation about worldview, why it is important, and why it is essential that followers of Christ have a biblical worldview. We've got a lot that we're going to tackle tonight, and we need the Spirit of God to guide us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask this evening that your Spirit would guide us into truth. God, would you allow our minds to be so consumed by what you're sharing in your word and how it is that we are to live in this culture that we're in, that, Lord, um, it would cause disturbances in how we're currently operating but in a good way, uh, moving us into a biblical pattern of what it looks like to live as salt and light. God, we will thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So these are just some of my preliminary thoughts for the Worldview Nights. Uh, the first of those is our Worldview Nights are not worship services in the traditional sense of the term. Uh, worship services, by and large, are designed to point all eyes back to the person, the worship, and the glory of God. That is the music, the teaching of the word, the prayers, the celebration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's all designed in order to point back to Jesus and say, look at who he is and look at what he has done for us. We need to have ongoing regular times of worship. What we're getting into tonight is going to contain some of those elements and it will in the future weeks as well. But our primary focus is on addressing world issues from a biblical perspective. So yes, there might be some of these nights that we sing some songs. And that's going to be wonderful. And there might be some of these nights that there's going to be no music whatsoever. And that's not a bad thing. 
In fact, that'll probably be a blessing to Seth and to the praise team. They get, they get a night off. But here's the reason we're going to do that. Some of these nights, the topics are so extensive, so difficult, so hard to work with, we're going to start with an extended time of prayer, and then we're going to step into some of those topics. There's going to be some of these evenings that are going to look a whole lot more like a Christian conference than what they would a Sunday morning worship service. And that's okay. It's, it's designed that way. Um, this is a time that we're going to address things that we would not have an opportunity to address in a normal worship service. And I'm going to come back and describe why that is in just a little bit. Also, as you can see, the set looks a little bit different. There's not all the time that we bring up a beautiful dry erase board and I got a fancy lamp and some little greenery going on over here and a nice bookshelf. Here's the reason we're doing this. We want this to be that from the moment people walk through the door, they look up here and their mind shifts till we're talking worldview tonight. We want it to be recognizable. We want it to be that when people come in, they're saying, I I'm here and I'm going to learn something in this setting, something about how to live the Christian life, something about what it looks like to apply the word of God. And I am ready in order to receive that. I'm ready to learn. We want it to be a visual piece to catch people's attention. Also, you're going to see that on the stuff as far as our worldview nights, there are going to be certain things that are going to be so maybe controversial, so divisive, um, that I'm going to tell you in advance, we will not be streaming these live. Okay, and, and you might say, well, Paul, are you trying to hide truth? Not a bit, not a bit. Here's what I'm attempting to do. I am attempting to come through and have a safe setting for us to discuss things that you would not be able to discuss otherwise. And sometimes if you advertise things in advance, or if it is left with live stream, there will be people who show up for no other purpose than to disrupt exactly what we're about to get into. And we want this to be a place that people can learn. So here's what's going to happen. Every one of these is going to be recorded. All of them are being videoed. But what we're going to do is we're not going to run it live stream. Some of these will be released the following Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and you can be able to share those with others. And there's going to be some of these I'm just going to tell you, we're going to keep in house. And the reason is there's certain things that you talk about with family that family knows what's going on. They know your heart. They know your theology. They know where you're coming from. It's kind of like you, you don't bring out really difficult topics when all the guests are in the room or the guests are at the house. You, you wait and you talk about certain things just with family. So some of these, you're going to have to be here in person in order to be a part of it. All right, so all of that being said, what are some of my personal concerns related to the church and culture? And again, this is my list. You might have others. Here's my first one. I am concerned that Christians are losing their ability to process difficult information through a biblical lens. I'm concerned about this. It is not that we don't process difficult information. We do. The issue is more and more Christians are processing that information first through the lens of personal experience, individual opinion, the distortions of social media, the latest research of academia, and a mob mentality that happens in culture. And if the word of God is ever brought in, it's brought in so much further in the process after our minds have already been shaped with a perspective based on everything else that we've already heard. As a result, we find it more and more that we are losing our ability to process difficult information through a biblical lens. Here's my second concern. I am concerned that Christians are struggling to discern between cultural ideals and Christian principles. This is a problem. Now, part of the problem comes back to biblical illiteracy. People simply don't know the word. Part of the problem comes back to a lack of discipleship. People have not been trained in the word, how to study it, how to pull the truths from scripture, how to live those out as salt and light in culture. But there's another part of this problem. Part of the problem is we think we're talking about the same thing when we're not talking about the same thing. Mike Evans, uh, author, journalist, commentator, gave a great quote to help shape this idea. He said, he who defines the terms 
controls the debate. You need to write that one down. He who defines the terms controls the debate. So there are terms that have a biblical definition and they also have a cultural understanding. And those are rarely the same thing. In fact, some of those terms, you'll be able to recognize them immediately because it's so much a part of what you're hearing about within church culture and within media. Some of those terms that they have a biblical definition and a cultural understanding are terms like gospel, justice, love, truth, marriage, right, and wrong. Even the term Christian has a completely different cultural understanding from its biblical definition. And sometimes in our desire to find common ground fast, because we want to see, is there something I have in common with the person that maybe I'm in an argument with or we're not seeing eye to eye? Because of a desire to find common ground fast or many times to eliminate the awkwardness of difference, we are not asking second and third level questions anymore. We're not asking questions like, how do you define that term? What do you mean by that? Um, where do you find that in Scripture? And what was the context of that idea? What does that look like in your life? And how are you currently living this out? By not defining the terms, we may be supporting things that are anti-God, anti-biblical, and anti-gospel, all the while thinking we're doing what is right and glorifying to God. There's a concern that we're not seeing the difference between cultural ideals and Christian principles. I'm also concerned that Christians are primarily taught how to answer church questions, not life questions, and definitely not the world's questions. We have equated education with discipleship and falsely assumed that knowing some Bible answers is the same as being a mature Christian. Did you all know that Satan knows the Bible probably better than all of us? And I don't think a single one of us would say he is a mature Christian. Many Christians are trained to answer church questions. Questions they're not going to be engaged with in culture, but church questions. They're asked questions like, did Jesus truly rise from the dead? Yes, that's an important one. They'll be asked maybe a question like, or taught, did Noah have an ark? He did. Uh, did God create the world? He did. But those are the types of questions that many times a yes or a no response is all somebody is looking for. What we're not training Christians to do right now is answer questions like, what does it look like for a person to live in the presence of God? How do you effectively transfer the faith to another generation? Can you show me in Scripture what it means to live out the gospel? Why is it important to understand our identity in Christ? How can you and I be sure that the Word of God is reliable and true? We're not training people to answer those types of questions. And as a result of that, when our college students are leaving churches and showing up on campuses, they are being theologically dismantled within a matter of semesters. They are having to figure out in real time, away from their church home and family, what the church should have been teaching for 18 years before they left home. What's happening is there's now young Christian singles that are getting engaged and they're getting married and yet they've never understood God's design for marriage and God's design for the home and they're flying blind into those first couple of years of being a couple. We find that Christians are not trained on how to seek God's wisdom on life issues or how to pray through major decisions or what a biblical understanding of finances is all about or how do you discipline and disciple your kids or what is the importance of authority in the home and in the church and in culture? Uh, what do you do when it comes to caring for aging parents? Uh, how do you work through disagreements? Those are the types of things that are life issues. And unfortunately, sermonettes on a Sunday morning are not going to teach people how to do that. Uh, three keys to a blessing is not going to teach you how it is that you work with your spouse through disagreements. There's certain life issues that the church has 
failed to equip the body of Christ for. And it shows. It shows in how the church, and I'm just saying church, big C, is living within the U.S. Sometimes it's difficult to discern the difference between those who know Jesus and those who don't. Here's another concern. I'm concerned that Christians are rapidly losing their appetite for knowing truth and their willingness to stand for truth. Now, truth has always been a hard pill to swallow, especially if it calls out sin. But fewer and fewer people are even concerned about the conversation, much less standing up for truth. There was a time when people ask far more truth-related questions because it was a part of the discovery process, the learning process, understanding, forming a person's belief system. So people would ask questions like, what is truth? How do you know that something is right or if it's accurate? Uh, where is the evidence? Can you prove that to me? Those, those are truth-related questions. But after decades of people being taught that truth is relative and that there are no absolutes and truth is found within each individual person, after decades of that, we're losing our appetite for discovering truth and standing for it. More and more, truth has become personalized. People say, live your truth. That's my truth. And many times it has no resemblance of actual truth. As truth has become personalized, challenging a person's belief is now an attack against that person. The litmus test of our day is not, is it true, but do you agree with me? Agreement is considered acceptance. Agreement is considered enlightened. Agreement is considered to be good. Disagreement is now considered to be an attack against that person, uh, uh, disrespecting that person. And all it takes is a little bit of disagreement for that person to have ample evidence to not only attack back, but to cancel whoever it was that just shared truth that did not agree with them. I am concerned that the more and more people are not concerned about truth. And you might say, well, well Paul... Is that that big of an issue? Oh, it really is. When Christianity is all about pursuing an intimate relationship with someone who calls himself the truth, when the word of God clearly says it is truth, when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, we need to be concerned when people are not concerned about truth. The message of Christianity is one of truth. Now, these are just some other ones. I'm just going to give them to you quickly. Uh, you can look through them um, afterwards. And that is, I'm concerned that uninformed and disengaged Christians are adding to the problems instead of being a part of the solution. I'm concerned that our society has lost the ability to have civil, meaningful conversations without hurling insults, name-calling, or making threats. Did you all know that problems are not solved because we just yell louder? We need to have clear conversation. I'm concerned that there's too few opportunities, if any, for Christians to discuss big controversial issues in a safe environment. And also, I am concerned that some Christians are more tied to a political party than representing Jesus and kingdom values. I got a lot of concerns, but listen, I'm not a pessimist in this. I don't think it's hopeless at all. We still believe in a God who can change lives, can change perspectives, can change culture, can change families. We believe in a God who is a God of hope. So I, I am not pessimistic about these things. I have concerns about them. So here's some of our goals for our worldview nights. I'm going to give you five of these. Our first is to inform believers. Ignorance may be bliss, but it really interferes with being salt and light. So while I want these nights to be informative, I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, I am not going to be able to address every angle. 
I'm not going to be able to pull out every argument. I'm not going to be able to unpack every facet of a particular issue. My desire on these nights is to help give boundaries, parameters, big picture of what's going on, and give people tools that are necessary for further study so that they can begin to work more of these things out in individual conversations and in homes. Here's the second goal, to foster a biblical worldview. I want to be unapologetic about that. My desire by the time this is done is not that we walk away with our heads filled with information, but that rather we walk away with a biblical worldview. Your decisions, your thoughts, your values, all of those things are going to be informed by your worldview. Here's the third goal, to show the beauty and the relevance of the gospel. As Pastor Dave Harvey said, Everything in the Bible is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel, we grow into the gospel. My desire through these different nights is by the time we're done, people look back and like, I had no idea the gospel impacted that and that and that. Look at how it's connecting here. I'm wanting people to look back and say, the gospel is where it's at. Fourth goal, to prayerfully seek to understand God's heart. Some of the worst advice that has ever been given is follow your heart. That is poor advice. Your heart will deceive you. But listen, knowing God's heart is absolutely essential in walking in security and in wisdom and faithfully with God. Here's number five, to encourage believers to act in love. Regardless of whether we agree with every one of the points, Christians are called to act in love. It it is possible for somebody to be theologically correct in their views and yet practically sinful in their interactions. The fact that we are right in one area does not give give us a pass to be disrespectful and hateful in another part of that. So what are some of the guidelines for these worldview nights? First, be respectful. Disagreement is not reason for disrespect. You don't have to agree with someone on everything to respect that person. We are to love God and we are to love people. Next one is closely connected to it. Speak what is edifying. Um, On some of our nights, we are going to have Q&A. And sometimes Q&A can be one of the most life-changing, wonderful things in the moment. And sometimes it is, uh, it's a little crazy in the moment. So here's what I'm going to ask people to do. If we do those, I'm going to remind people, speak what is edifying. There's no question about it that sometimes before and after these particular nights, people are going to get together and they're going to share, well, this is what I thought about that. And what did you think about this? Here's my opinion there. All I'm saying is share what is edifying making wild generalizations about somebody else and about their beliefs and about their motivations and how could they believe this and somebody's stupid for thinking that. Like those types of things are not going to help. Speak what is edifying. And here's the third one. I reserve the right to table any conversation that's doing more harm than good. So if Q&A starts to go off the rails, I'm going to smile And I'm going to try to politely bring her on back in, and we're going to move on to the next part. And that is there's some topics that are so difficult, it needs to be done in a one-on-one conversation. Now, I would like for us to have three to four of these types of evenings per year, at minimum, maybe even a few more than that. Some of the topics that I'm going to be addressing, and this will give you an idea as to why I'm not going to be putting these immediately on live stream. Some of the topics we're addressing are abortion, deconstructing faith, transgender policy, racism, LGBTQ, wokeness, immigration and secure borders, politics in the local church, the rise of mental disorders, social media and its impact on people, etc., 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 we got a lot of stuff we're going to be covering. So when I just say it's going to be a night of worldview, I might not tell you what that night's going to be about. You're going to have to be in the room in order to see what it's about. Okay, now people have 
asked me already, why are we not doing some of these same types of teachings on Sunday morning? It's a great question, and I believe I've got a pretty solid answer for that. Every New Testament church needs to have a weekly gathering for God's people to come together to worship, to give, to serve, to pray, to hear the proclamation of the word, to fellowship together, and to celebrate the ordinances. We don't want to do anything to take away from that. These nights are additional training, helping people process Scripture and what's going on in the real world right now. That's what these nights are about. So all of that being said, let me give you my predictions for these worldview nights. I promise this is actually coming to a close in a moment. Uh, here's my first prediction. There's a really good chance that everyone will get angry at least once per evening. Now, for some of you, that anger will start at 6 p.m. when we start, and it will end sometime hours after or days after the evening itself ends. But I'm just telling you up front, the reason I think at least one time a night everybody's going to get angry is because each of us come to a conversation with our view, and we've surrounded ourselves so many times with people who only think like what we think, and anybody saying anything that is different than that, you're like, whoa, that's not okay. There, there's a little bit of fire that will start to come up inside. Chances are everyone will get angry at least once per night. That's good. That's, that's a part of our sanctification process. I also predict that many people realize these issues are far more complex than what they originally thought. A number of years ago, about seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken, I was asked to speak on immigration, refugees, and secure borders. And after five months of study and reading thousands of pages of documents about what's happening in our country right now, all I can say is I walked away more convinced than ever that it is a very difficult concept to approach biblically. That's, that's key here, because if we're talking biblical worldview, biblical worldview sometimes is different than national politics. But listen, God has a role for government, and God has a role for the church, and God has a role for the family. And all three of those are ordained and created by God, each with their own role. And listen, each one can do what they're supposed to do, but you got to know what lane each one is in. There's a lot that's going to come out on some of these nights. You'll, you'll see some of these topics are far more complex than what you might imagine. Here's another one. There's a strong possibility that people will walk away confused. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Here's why I say that. There's confusion that exists because you know nothing. And then there's confusion that exists because you know something. And half the battle is knowing something about the battle. So if we move you from being confused knowing nothing to confused knowing something, that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> and like I said, I'm not going to be able to share every angle, every piece, but the goal here is to help people say, oh, okay, that's actually a real thing. That's actually happening. The, the church needs to respond to that. We need to be engaged. I need to know something. I might not know everything I need to know, but I at least know I need to know something. That's a step in the right direction. Here's number four. There will be points in our conversations that will cause people to squirm in discomfort. I want to encourage you, work through the awkward. It'll be okay. We'll, we'll still love each other on the way out, Lord willing. Work through the awkward. Now, all of that being said, I am going to flip my fancy-dancy board right here, and I'm going to show you all some goodness on the other side. Okay, so some of these things are going to be pieces that every single time we get together, I'm going to keep certain pieces up on this board. There's going to be one side of this board that's going to have some of the, the goals. Here's we've already covered them. Inform believers, foster a biblical worldview, show the beauty and relevance of the gospel, prayerfully seek to understand God's heart, encourage believers to act in love. 
Before we get into some of these topics, we're going to walk back through this list and say, all right, do you all know what we're about tonight? Do you know what the goals are about tonight? Here's what we're trying to do. I'm going to keep coming back to certain key pieces. He who defines the terms controls the debate. I'm going to keep coming back to, we're going to talk about worldview. What is a biblical worldview? We're going to see these eight categories that come together to help create a person's worldview. There's a lot of this information that I want to be able to go back and say, do you remember what we covered here? Here it is again. I want you to see where this is coming from. So on one of these nights, we're going to come through and I'll flip the board back over and it'll be everything related to that topic. But I'm going to keep a lot of this information that we come back to again and again. So what is a worldview and why should Christians develop a biblical worldview? So here's your basic definitions right up at the top. A worldview is how you see the world. That's as simple as we can make it right there. A worldview is how you see the world. Everybody has a worldview, whether or not they understand it or not. Worldview is that system of beliefs and core values that informs a person's decisions and helps frame out life issues. That is the way that you see every part of life. For example, the way you see evolution, the way you see the cause of school shootings, the way you see specific policies on immigration, the way you see the reasons behind poverty, the way you see the facts surrounding abortion, all of those things are informed by your worldview. In many ways, your worldview is like an operating system that was programmed well in advance that impacts every application of your life. Here's the issue. If we're not careful, our worldview can be something that was being programmed without us even knowing it. Every bit of the information that's going into your mind, every bit of what happens in the experience of your life, how your family operated, your, your socioeconomic status, all of those things are helping establish worldview. And we need to understand that those are coming together. So there are eight primary categories that come together to create worldview. And I say primary, there's more than this, but these are your eight primary ones. That is creation and environment, religion and spirituality, education and development, relationships and experience, culture and institutions, science and technology, economics and vocation, and then community and government. When you begin to think about the pieces that have shaped your mind, your views, your values the most, I guarantee you, you're going to begin to find them in this list. These are your primary shapers of what's going on with worldview. So all of those come together to create a worldview. And if worldview is seeing the world, how you see the world, then a biblical worldview is seeing the world from God's perspective as revealed in Scripture. That's a biblical worldview. Seeing the world from God's perspective as revealed in Scripture. Now, developing a biblical worldview means that we develop our system of beliefs and our values that are informed by God's word. That is how we see all of these different pieces are informed by God's word. Everything in life gets informed by God's word. It involves the idea of every facet of what it looks like to live in this world. That is the beginning of the world, the people of the world, the problems of the world, the governments of the world, the solutions for this world, every bit of that comes together to form worldview. And our goal in developing a biblical worldview is to see those things from God's perspective as it is revealed through Scripture. So, what is the role of government? Let the Word of God answer that. How do you define marriage? The Bible will tell us. What is truth? There's a great answer for that in Scripture. Where do we find purpose? The Bible will let us know. Where do we come from? Scripture has a lot to say about that. Why are we here? Just so happens to be right there in the Word of God. In other words, the issues of life, the questions we're dealing with, they need to be informed by the Word of God. Now, here is one of the greatest praises I get a chance to share this morning or this evening. 
And that is, I praise God, Sherwood has been steeped in scriptural authority for years and years and years. You all do not know how far past where so many Christians are starting right now. When Christians have not been taught the word, they've not been taught the authority of the word, they've not been taught the inerrancy of the word, they're still coming with a little bit of scripture, a little bit of me, a little what they learned at home and trying to figure it all out. Praise God, this has been a church that has gone through and clearly said, Scripture is our authority. Without exception, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and training in righteousness. We unapologetically teach that God's Word is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is infallible. God's Word is sufficient and it is complete. Because of that, We look to the Word of God as our authority. It is God's Word, God's teaching, God's heart for us. We look to God's Word as our authority in all matters of faith and practice. Show me a mature follower of Christ. I will show you someone who has labored to understand and actively apply the Word of God correctly. Not just pieces, the whole of what scripture is about. Now, I shared a little while ago that I'm concerned that Christians are losing their ability to think critically and biblically about cultural problems. That is not a situation of wild speculation on my side. That is one that is backed up by multiple studies. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University shared that 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview. I shared that a couple of months ago, 37%. When the pastors do not have a biblical worldview, what do you think happens to the congregations they serve? Well, I'll tell you, based on the studies that have been found by Barna in 1995, 2000, and 2005, 4% of the U.S. population has a biblical worldview. You might say, but Paul, that's 4% of the population, not believers. Oh, I got you a fun one there too. 9% of those who claim to be born-again evangelicals have a biblical worldview. Listen to this statement by, that was in the Barna Report. Quote, although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life, end of quote. Yes, that's the issue. That's the problem. Owning a Bible is not the same as knowing your Bible. And knowing stories in the Bible is not the same as living biblical principles. We find that there's this massive disconnect between what God says and what Christians are currently believing. And here's the problem. That puts us in opposition with him. When God says one thing and we believe and hold on to something else, we are now in opposition with God. We become a part of the problem. God's word should determine our view of creation, human nature, the purpose of life, the problem of sin, the way of salvation, the certainty of death, of heaven and hell, marriage and children, materialism and poverty, abortion and capital punishment, government and leadership, homosexuality and premarital sex, hate crimes, racism, money, euthanasia, welfare, cults, you name it. It already addresses it. Our issue is what does Scripture say And will we believe it and act accordingly to that? Now, all of those teachings work together to create a biblical worldview. None of those teachings can be pulled out and separated from the rest and still adequately represent the perspective of God. They're a package deal. So think of it like this. For a person to be physically healthy, they need adequate sleep, They need regular exercise. They need good nutrition. Those are the basics of physical health. Now, for somebody to focus on one to the detriment of the other two is not going to lead that person to physical health. Let's say somebody says, well, I'm going to get at least 10 hours of sleep. That'll make me healthy. 
but they're not exercised and they eat 5,000 calories of Ho-Ho's and Cheetos and Diet Coke, they're not going to be healthy. Okay, it's those three pieces, that part of sleep and that part of exercise and also that part of nutrition, they work together to bring about health. The same thing happens with a biblical worldview. Emphasizing God's teachings on helping the hurting while de-emphasizing God's teachings on human responsibility. To emphasize God's teachings on law by downplaying God's teachings on loving others does not adequately describe God's perspective. A biblical worldview brings all of those pieces together. So there are two reasons why Christians believe or act in opposition to Scripture. First is ignorance. We don't know what Scripture says. Second is disobedience. We reject what Scripture says. There is no middle ground on that. God has given us his word to guide us, his spirit to empower us, and his gospel to set us free. If you and I know what the Bible says and we choose to align ourselves with something else, that is dangerous, that is unwise, and that is sinful. There is always going to be pain when we hold on to what God hates. So what are the basic steps for developing a biblical worldview? Share this and we'll close. First, actively pursue an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That type of relationship is only made possible by the gospel. You know what I love about that? From the very beginning, the gospel is essential for a person having a biblical worldview. You can study the teachings, the writings of Scripture, but if you do not have a walk with God and the Spirit of God indwelling you, you will not know how to understand it right or to apply it right. It will be like foolishness. I might have shared with you all, but my undergrad in world religion from the University of Georgia, I had professors who would teach different topics. I had my professor for Islam was uh, a, a guy who was a practitioner of Islam. My professor for Judaism was a rabbi. I had a guy who was teaching on Taoism and Confucianism. He was the second foremost authority in the Western Hemisphere on the topic. I was taking New Testament from a guy who claimed to be a Christian. And I was thinking, this is going to be good. I, I want to hear an academic, scholarly approach from a Christian teaching the New Testament. And I got into this class, and I was blown away by this guy's understanding of things. He would begin to trace things from the Old Testament. For example, one of his things that he shared is when the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple in the Old Testament, he said, do you know what was really happening? He said, back in those times, people would burn incense as a way to get high for a religious experience. When it talks about the cloud, it was incense burning in order to make people high for a religious experience. Now, this is a guy who claimed to be a Christian. He equated the Shekinah glory of God with getting high for a religious experience. Claiming to be a Christian. So here's my thing. Somebody can be a teacher. And by the way, when he would teach New Testament, he opened up a Greek New Testament and taught from the Greek. He didn't even use an English translation. The guy was brilliant. But brilliance, apart from the Spirit of God, still leads to foolishness. You have to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is the indwelling Spirit of God who helps us understand and illumines the Word of God and empowers us to live out the biblical teachings that are found right here. It is essential. So what are the basic parts of developing a biblical worldview? First, Actively pursue an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is going to include regular time daily in the Word, regular time daily in prayer, regular time submitting to what the Spirit of God is doing in your life and through your life. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, He will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with Him, including developing a biblical worldview. Second part, study Scripture contextually and completely 
as it relates to a topic. To study scripture with a couple of verses, to get you a blog post and pull the thing down, like, okay, here's what the Bible says, that is dangerous. There needs to be an ongoing thing for Christians where we're okay telling somebody, that's a great question, I will get back to you on that. And not feel the necessity in the moment of sharing everything that we think we know about a topic. Give us some time to work through. Give us some time to do some reading and research. Study scripture contextually and completely. On one of these nights, we're going to walk through how to break down a scripture to understand what the word of God is saying. We're going to show how it is you pull from the text what the text is saying instead of reading into the text what you think it's saying. It's going to be a good night. Probably going to be a confusing night, but it's going to be a good night. Here's number three. Adopt God's perspective as your perspective. When you're pursuing an intimate relationship with God, when you are studying Scripture contextually and completely, and God gives his perspective, you adopt that now as your perspective. That is a part of developing a biblical worldview. You might say, but I, I've never had that perspective before. It's been my perspective. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible says if you're a Christian, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Now, our goal is not to have better ideas in our mind. Our goal is to have the mind of Christ. Our goal is to know what the Word of God says. Adopt God's perspective as your perspective. Number four, if anything seems to contradict God's perspective, give him the benefit of the doubt, trust him, and wait for clarity. Okay, I'll go back to my story again about my undergrad. I felt like in many ways my undergrad was a degree in apologetics. And the reason for that is because when you're sitting in classrooms of sometimes 30, 40, 50 different people, most of which are very anti-Christian, and there are PhDs in research and statements that are being dropped that everything about Christianity is false and it is myth and it is not right, all I can say is, it is very easy to get intimidated in that. But here's, here's my mindset. Praise God, I grew up in a church that they were preaching the word. And here's, here's what I knew. God's word is true. God's word is true. Whenever something came up I didn't understand, all it did was it sent me back into further time of research and study in order to say, God, I need you to help me understand what this is. And here's what I found. There are just as many PhD brilliant people on the other side who have a biblical worldview. And when you've been kind of pushed into a corner and you've been made to feel inferior and all of a sudden God begins to show you through his word, through the research of others that his word is true, that he is faithful in a way that you could now understand and explain, it brings a vibrancy to your faith again where you're like, I'm ready for the next challenge. We need to be okay with the fact there's going to be moments we might not understand, but give God the benefit of the doubt. You know what we're doing if we don't? We're giving research the benefit of the doubt. You all know that most research comes down to who paid to get the research done. Give it six months. Give it three years and watch how the research changes again and again. And the issue is there is no repercussions for being wrong with research. Here's, here's the line. Once you hear the line, you'll know it every time. We know and understand more now. That's what happens when what somebody has now been sharing as truth is found to be a lie. Here's how you cover it up. You go back and say, well, in a further research, we've now found new discoveries, and we understand more at this point. You can cover up a lot of lies and keep that continuing to go forward if you just say, well, we just know more now. Stick with the Word of God. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Here's the next one. Number five, intentionally associate with and learn from those who are on the same path. That includes friends, churches, blogs, books, podcasts. We need to spend time with people who are also searching and desiring to have a biblical worldview. This is one of your birds of the feather flock together type of analogies right here. There's something important about taking this journey with others who are on the same page. 
And then number six, repeat this process for the rest of your life. If you continue to do that over and over, you continue to actively pursue an intimate relationship with God. You continue to study scripture contextually and completely. You adopt God's perspective as your perspective. If anything contradicts it, give him the benefit of the doubt and give it some time. Intentionally associate with other people who are on the same path and you keep repeating that, guess what happens? You develop a biblical worldview. Your values, your beliefs are now guided by what the word of God says. So here's where all of that is leading. On the last Sunday of this month, I believe it's the 29th, now that you have the basics behind you, now that we got some pieces in place, I'm going to tackle the topic of deconstructing faith. There is a phenomenon that is happening throughout our country, and this is primarily an American phenomenon of people who are deconstructing faith. And this is one of those places where some people have one understanding of what that means, and they're like, oh, this is a good thing. And somebody else has a completely different understanding of what that means. You're like, no, that's not good at all. I, I want us to pull out why it's happening, what that means, and how it is that we can have a biblical perspective on it. And then we're going to go from there if anybody comes back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we submit our hearts, our minds, our lives to you. We ask that you would live your word in and through us. God, may you develop a biblical worldview in our hearts. God, would you allow us to be able to effectively address topics that believers need to understand so that we can be effective as salt and light in this culture. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful evening. We'll see you this next week.